Do you name your dice? Oh, yeah, man. I've got Thunder, Lightning, Clunker, Smash, Brian, the Spin Doctor, D8 Knight, the Ridiculous D6, Jessica, Rolls Royce, Roloni Sandwich, Vanilla Dice, D4 and After, 10 Affleck, Andrew Dice Play, Dice Guys Finish Last, D6 or Upper, Hank, Double 20, the Purple Demon, and Crit Astley. Uh, what about you? I don't name my dice. Garen, you ready? It's about to drop. Do it. Dan here, I started out in 5e. And me, I was sitting behind the DM screen. Yeah, that was three short years ago. I built a dragonborn fighter with no gusto. Fast forward a year, we're buying supplements and copping brand new gear. Incessantly making characters for one another. The only one who cared, of course, was our brother. Building new characters, score them all day. Each and every week, a brand new baby. How's their melee? How's their range? How's their magic? How controlling? How to range? That's not a category. Just keep going. Uh, I think we were here. Grab a comfy chair and a glass of mead. Another fresh episode in your feed. Other podcasts can be kind of drab. This ain't one. It's the Character Lab. Welcome to the D&D Character Lab, the show based around one thing we as players cannot resist. And that is compulsively creating characters and daydreaming about their validity in-game. Each week, we're bringing a new character to the table, drawing from a plethora of published content, and scoring it against a predefined table of criteria. It is then up to us to use our own personal charisma modifiers to convince the other that our baby is better. Hey everybody, it's Dan. And I'm Garen, and this week we highlight not one, but three different products that are all centered around the high seas. With the recent release of Ghosts of Saltmarsh Adventure Book by Wizards of the Coast, DM's Guild has been flooded with products offering content to assist you as you set sail. We've gathered three of our favorites, starting off with Races from Call of the Deep by JVC Perry. Now this supplement here will just give you a small taste of the massive adventure book this author has put together, but for about 95 cents you can get 4 races and 11 feats for your nautical campaign. Up next we've got Tides of Blood by Darren Kenny and Connor Higgins. My apologies to Connor. I did mention on our last episode that there will only be three authors. I forgot Connor and uh, I will never forget you again. So this book is 64 pages for the low price of $5. You will get 30 subclasses, 8 backgrounds, and 22 new spells. And finally, we have a pay-what-you-want supplement by Brian Holmes that contains four new archetypes and there's nothing we respect more than usable content being offered for F-R-E-E free. Now let's get straight into the nitty-gritty because we got a lot of content to talk about this week. So let's hear some backstories that'll certainly be more interesting than the blockbuster film Waterworld. Dan, take it away. The hardy merfolk have had to forge their way in the depths of the seascape for millennia. Life isn't easy down there by any means, but it has been quite the struggle these last few years especially given all the pollution and unsustainable food sourcing practices those pesky humans are practicing at the surface above. Eutharyo has seen all of this change throughout his life. His own mother died due to the sickness related to boat pollution and runoff from farming. They call it the ick. Thick gobs of polluted water clog the gills, you see, and make it harder and harder for the merfolk to catch a quality breath. Well, after he witnessed his own mother fall to the hands of irresponsible humans, Uthario knew he had to do something. Luckily, he didn't have to look very far for a sympathetic ear. Underwater temples serving the storm god Thanos 
had signs posted outside for years preaching revenge on humans as they were aggravating the storm god with their irresponsible practices and how these same practices that killed Utharyo's mother are also changing the very weather on the surface above and angering the god Thanos. This also caused a great deal of strife for Thanos' underwater followers as most of them were working class farmers. The recent uptick in storms from the angry Thanos caused such a churning in the waters below that it is now impossible to bring any sea crops to harvest. They knew that they had to work with Thanos to bring about change. That is when Uthario brought it upon himself to start the Storm Sentinel Archers. These archers are comprised of a ragtag group of Sahugain, Merfolk, Tritons, and other aquatic beings who had enough and were scared to see what would happen if they kept being spectators to these alarming changes. Uthario was a commanding leader with undeniable influence cross species. These archers began to take a stand against large fishing boats who were cleaning out the entire species of valuable fish to the ecosystem below and polluting the waters. Powerful storms went through with Thanos' help while the archers below pierced the undersides of the large boats and met them at the bottom of the sea. Word started to spread that these waters were dangerous places to fish, and less and less adventurous humans would make the trek into the waters for some tasty fish. Still not satisfied, Uthario has now made his way ashore to go after farmers whose runoff is also contributing to the uptick in the ick. Using his commanding influence and knowledge of the landscape around him, he won't stop until he's assured that his people will be spared for generations to come from the irresponsible and reckless nature of the humans. And I'd like to introduce to you Uthario, who is a level 10 Merfolk Storm Sentinel Ranger with the Outlander background. And the links to all of the content that I used this week are in our show notes. Man, uh, I'm very excited for a ranger, just the archery whole flavor you got going on there. Because as I've told you, Dan, I'm deep into some Skyrim right now, and I am focusing on my archery in that game. So I am all about that ranged combat. Also spreading the word about global warming for those of you that can't pick it up. I think that was so obvious, Dan, but I do have a question. Is it possible your computer auto-corrected Talos to Thanos? Oh my goodness. I kept saying Thanos. Yeah, that's probably that's probably what was happening. Yeah, because Talos is the storm god of D&D. I mean, I'll flex that nerd. Before you go flexing on me, let's hear about your character this week. How was your first day? Eh, the beatings are coming. Look, put down the mop for a second. I want to talk to you about something. Now, most folk that join a ship have the idea that pirates are the kings of the sea. And to many, that's true. But out here, there reigns another. A couple of decades back, a ship called the Dusty Curtain came upon a tribe of Sahogin. I was raiding a merchant ship in the South Sea. The captain, stout-hearted fool named Morden felt that they were in his waters. He killed a lot of them, went as far as to take his men under sea to destroy the home of those Sahagin. Killed every last one of them. Well, or so he thought. You see, a young male escaped that day. Yeah, isn't that the way revenge stories always be born? He had a fiery hate for the pirates, eclipsed only by his lust for gold. Now, fortunately for him, Pirates also love gold, and tend to have a lot of it. He got to raid in pirate ships, and he was damn good at it. Now here's the thing, you never see him coming. The first sign that he's attacking 
is always that your lookout in the crow's nest takes an arrow to the eye. Soon after, your ship is under a barrage of the elements that leaves the deck in tatters. Only then does he come aboard, tall and broad, wearing no armor and hardly carrying a weapon. Oh, but still, he's a fearsome one to ever face. Cough Gut Feaster is his name. That's only the word of men half alive and mostly mad with fear that managed to escape his wrath. Just thought you should know about that. Look, the uh, sun's going down. He usually comes at night, so you better finish up your work. Oh, and when you're done mopping, Captain wants you to keep a lookout. Good night. So I'm bringing Koth Gutfeaster, a level 10 sorcerer of the gold origin, Sahogen race, and he is in the pirate hunter background, if that wasn't already obvious. Well, I'm very excited. Now, let me ask you, was your microphone auto-correcting pirate to Scottish? Yes, I am a master of ones of dialects. <laughs> I mean, you got You have to admit, my Scottish dwarf, when when I DM, is is pretty solid. But that's about as good as I get. Rock solid, but uh, yeah, this pirate definitely came from the Shireland, <laughs> which is good because you're gonna need all the luck you can get with those nasty, nasty dice you've been rolling. Nothing but ones. Okay, okay, but you know what? I'm actually thinking about getting some new ones. Is that right? Yeah. You know where I'm gonna go? Where's that? Tabletop loot. That's a site full of all your D&D essentials and even more heart. Their store has shirts, mugs, tote bags, and hordes and hordes of those dice. What really makes this place special is they regularly support gaming in schools by having sales where every dice set purchased means one will be donated to a school gaming program. And their dice selection cannot be beat. So of course we don't have time to talk about all of them. And I'm going to tell you about the dice set that I would buy when playing Koth Gutfeaster. And that is the Blue Barrel. They're a semi-translucent blue with flecks of silver that give you that underwater magical feeling while you're slitting the throat of a deckhand. So when you click that link in our show notes to get your next set of dice for your character, use the code LABRAT, L-A-B-R-A-T, to get 15% off your total purchase on anything except those metal Norse foundry dice. So grab some fresh loot and get boring the boot! Well, thank you, Garen, and tabletop loot for that message. Now, if you're just joining us for the first time this week, this is where I'll explain how the show works and the format. If not, go ahead and skip ahead about 20 seconds, you impatient, ungrateful... Uh, never mind. We have nine categories that we've prepared arguments for, and in each of these categories, we'll state why our character deserves a score between a negative two and a positive two. Now, think of a positive two as sailing around the world with nothing but a boat and a dream, and a minus two is a three-hour tour that turns into three seasons of really dicey writing. Additionally, once per show, each of us will be able to force the other to roll for the score in which we are arguing for as a charisma saving throw using the charisma modifier of the character in which we're using. And then at the end of the episode, whoever has the most points wins. Very, very simple. Now, it's time for the nitty gritty with the melee category, and I'm going to go ahead and start us off this week. Now, that's two nitty gritties this episode, Dan, so we have to find a really smooth way to put in the third. Ain't nothing smooth about the nitty gritty, my friend, and this melee category for Uthario is pretty gritty. I'm arguing a plus one. Twin short swords with a plus seven to hit, 1d6 plus three, piercing two attacks. Man, uh, I really got no problem with that. That's nice and clean. I'm arguing a minus one. I got a dagger. Let's leave it at that. Moving right into ranged. How are you doing in this category? Actually, I think you're going to like this. I have got the Vicious Longbow, which is only a plus two to hit, 1d8 plus two 
piercing damage, but I spent my feet on Underwater Archer. Your ranged weapon attacks do not automatically miss beyond their normal range underwater, and you don't suffer disadvantage while making ranged attacks within their normal range underwater. I'm sure you have that too because you chose a ranger, but that's a pretty great feat, isn't it, Dan? It certainly is. What else you got? Nothing else. I'm arguing a zero. Okay, you're worthy of a zero. I'm arguing a plus two. As a ranger, I've got two attacks. I'm using a longbow with a plus nine to hit. Took the archery fighting style, for those of you keeping score at home. 1d8 plus three piercing damage. I also have hunter's mark, and I took the underwater archer feat as well, Garen. Very good insight. You passed that check. But I also have an ability called hurling tradition. Once per long rest, I can throw a warhammer 20 feet distance, 60 feet with disadvantage, 1d8 bludgeoning damage, and at 7th level I have something called Arcing Strike that as a bonus action, I can have it return to my hand. I can only use it once per long rest, so having it return to my hand is sort of arbitrary, but, uh, you know, it's fine. I mean, that's great for that final kill move. You're an archery specialist, so you're not going to be throwing the Warhammer that often, except for really when it's supposed to be cool, right? Like, you would use it to be cool. I do like the Thor flavoring of this particular archetype, so bonus points for that. I think it's pretty neat. So I'm arguing a plus two here. Okay, so let me think about this. Obviously, this ranger wants a plus two in range. Also, knowing you, Dan, I'm anticipating that you are going to be arguing a plus two in control and the tankiness category. So I'm actually going to give you this plus two, and I'm going to hold back because I think I'm going to see one of those later, and that's where I'm going to get you. So talk to me about burninating. I have ensnaring strike, so I'm arguing a minus one. And ensnaring strike does do damage, right? Yes, it does. That's all I needed to hear. Okay, so let me get listy with you now because I'm a sorcerer. I got lots of spells and I'm going to be featuring quite a few spells out of our supplements this week. First of all, my cantrip, Salt Spray. This is a 30-foot spell ranged attack. You extend your hand and you see a conjure a spray of seawater from your fingertips. The creature must succeed on a deck save or take 1d6 cold damage. The creature then takes another 1d6 piercing damage from the salt in the water at the beginning of their next turn. This bumps up to 2d6 at 5th level. So that's my cantrip. I have also got Reaching Cold, a level 5 evocation with a range of 120 feet. I create four tendrils of frost that reach out towards a creature. For my initial hit, the creature takes 8d8 cold damage. After hitting, the creature... A wave of frost surges out from that creature, and all creatures of my choosing within 30 feet must make con saves. On failed, each one takes 4d8 cold damage, half as much on a successful save. Yikes. I have also got Bloody Assault as being a Sahogain. When I damage a creature with an attack or spell, and the creature has half of its hit points or less, I can cause the attack or spell to deal extra damage to the creature. The extra damage equals my level, which is 10. And I got to do a short or long rest to recharge that. And the last one I'm putting in this category is Aquatic Volley, a first level evocation with a range of 60 feet. And I create three orbs of water that I hurl at nearby enemies. I choose different targets for each one. Each target takes 1d8 magical bludgeoning damage on hit. So I'm arguing a plus two. Ooh, I don't know about a plus two, but you've got a lot of really nice original spells in here, but the sheer volume at level 10 should be a little bit more impressive. You just want more spells that deal damage? Sure. Yeah, like 
Lightning Lure, Acid Splash, Flame Arrows, Ice Storm. Is that putting me over the top? Well, yeah, you didn't mention any of that. Because I'm just talking about the spicy bits. Well, you can also mention what you have to deal damage. So, yes, you can get a plus two, but you're rolling for it. So, of course, I'm a sorcerer, but this isn't a fully optimized sorcerer. So, I've got a plus three at level 10. I think we know a thing or two about unoptimized sorcerers, Garen. You should, too. I rolled another eight. <laughs> Thank you, plus one. And I'll take it right into control. You ever heard of the Midian Touch? It's like King Midas. It's a fifth level transmutation. Concentration of up to one minute is a touch spell, and you touch one creature or an object two size categories larger than me and attempt to transmute that thing into gold. If it's a creature, it takes 3d6 fire damage, and it must make a con save. On a failed save, it is restrained as liquid gold begins to cover its body. A creature restrained by this spell must make another con save at the end of each of its turns. It successfully saves three times the spell ends, and until then it is restrained. If it fails three times, it is petrified for the duration of the spell, which is up to one minute. So you turn him into a gold statue. I've also got Crushing Wave. This is a second level spell with a range of 60 feet. I summon a wall of water 30 feet long, 10 foot high, and one foot thick within 60 feet of me. When I cast that spell, I have the wall fall in either direction, causing any creatures within 10 feet to make a dex save. The creature hit takes 4d8 magical damage and is knocked prone. On successful save, they take half damage and are not knocked prone. Finally, I have my feature of being a pirate hunter. They'll hang for this. Where's me rum? Finding the movements of pirates isn't easy. However, you have managed to find a foolproof way of doing so. Through some means, whether bribery or intimidation, you are able to gain the service of a member of your quarry's crew. They will send regular messages to you regarding their whereabouts and activities, and you can force them to attempt sabotage at great risk in order to catch the pirate you seek. And if that's not enough, I have also got True Strike, Lightning Lure, Control Flames, and that's it. I'm arguing a plus two again. Yeah, there's a lot of control here, but here's the problem. What? You're basically dependent on spells for mostly all of that. But I can turn my sorcery points into extra spell slots, which I think makes sorcerers really strong in our game that we've created. Okay, if you're going to be spending those slots on control, then, then, then have at it. Plus two. I'm also arguing a plus two. Not relying on those spells, though. I am basically Aquaman, because I took the Beast Tamer feat out of Call from the Deep, and it reads, You have a great ability to communicate with and command beasts. You gain the following benefits. Proficiency with animal handling. And if you succeed on a DC 12 animal handling check on a beast, the subject of your check serves you for one hour. The beast can perform simple tasks such as carry messages, guard doorways, or serve as a mount for an hour. Does not give you a size. Could be <laughs> oh, a, an absolutely massive beast. So I think that would be awesome to have that as a mount and super controlling to use that as a guard, uh, say, if you wanted to go take uh, a short rest for an hour. Also, I have a feature called Rolling Thunder, which at 7th level, whenever you successfully hit a creature with that Warhammer that you throw, you can expend a spell slot as a bonus action, and if you do, you may attempt to shove the creature. Now, should you choose to push the creature away from you instead of knocking it prone, it is pushed away from you a number of feet equal to 5 times the level of the spell slot expended. Also, beasts and monstrosities are my favored enemies. Also, my favored terrain is Coast, 
Arctic and Swamp. So I've got all of the water bits covered. And then I also have Landstride, Primeval Awareness, and Hide in Plain Sight. And as a merfolk, I am amphibious, meaning I can breathe both air and water. So you got your one cool class feature. You got your feet, which it's a neat feat, but it does have a limited use of only an hour. Otherwise, we're just talking ranger abilities here. I can use it as many times as I want. No limit, my friend. That's super controlling. So I'll tell you this much. I'm not relying so much on spells. This is not a strong two, but I can give you a two. All right, I'll take my plus two. I'm going to move it right into tankiness. I'm going to steam. No, 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 no. no. You're going to roll. I was going to say that. But all right, all right, all right. So Uthario has a charisma score of 13 with a plus one modifier. To get this plus two, he needs to roll a 16 or better as the DC is 17. I rolled a natural one. I will take a minus three. Oh, snap. Been doing a lot of that lately. Oh, geez. Yeah, you are an excellent dice roller. Uh, so I do want to mention, when you said class features, I, I thought to myself, no, I haven't used those yet. And then I thought to myself, wait a second. I did mean to use one of those, and I just have so many things in my notes. I looked over a class feature, so this isn't going to count towards anything, but I do want to make sure that I'm mentioning this. The first level feature of being a sorcerer of the gold bloodline is when a spell deals damage, I can spend silver or gold pieces to increase the damage. For every 10 silver pieces, I increase the damage by 1d6. For every 10 gold pieces, by 1d8. The maximum amount of coins you can spend is equal to 10 times half your proficiency. Well, it's a good thing you didn't include that in an argument, Garen, because as much as I enjoy original content and original ideas coming into play, especially when it comes to resource expenditure, I'm not a big fan of money coming into damage dealing because we've been in campaigns before where... You know, each member of the party has, I don't know, 2,000 gold. So I'm not a huge fan of that, but uh, I, I do like the original idea. I think it's just a little bit overpowered. If you had the coins to do it, your sorcerer would be pumping out some serious damage. Then moving right into tankiness, I am arguing a plus one. I have 100 HP and an AC of 14, and that is the end of my argument. Okay, that's a zero. Yeah, I agree with you. Okay. I am arguing a zero also. I have 80 HP with a con of plus two and an armor of 12, but I also have Cold Rebuke, which is a first level reaction where a creature must make a con save or take 2d12 cold damage. I just threw that in there because I think it makes sense. Uh, I also am putting Counterspell in this category. I don't know that it's been in tankiness before, but I think we can agree after the end of Tomb Annihilation that Counterspell is a very tanky spell. You got that right. And I also have limited amphibiousness, where I can breathe air and water, but I need to be submerged at least once every four hours or I start suffocating. So that's actually a penalty. So zeros back and forth? Sure. Because I'm definitely not a negative one. No, no. So then tell us how strong you are in ally assist. I have one spell. I'm going to call this a minus one. I have rain, a second level transmutation. It's a range of self, and I create a downpour of heavy rain in a 30-foot radius in every direction. When the creature in this area takes fire damage, they can reduce that damage by my level. Also, if they thirsty. So that's all I got. What are you arguing there? Just a minus one. Yeah, yeah, take your minus one. Well, before I get into how Uthario helps his friends, I do want to read yet another five-star review from the iTunes by The Coper. And this was written on June 7th. 
and it reads, Where is the William? You can't have a character podcast without a goy named William so you can have a guy named Will die or something. Except that amazing team Dan for life and make a Tarrasque. <laughs> That's right. I don't know what this means. <laughs> uh, I think the culprit <laughs> needs to email us dndcharacterlab at gmail.com and explain to us this concept of the William. I'd be happy to write a character into the show called William if you just tell us where you're coming from. Or what a goy is. It's a it's a guy. It's a boy guy, right? <laughs> it's a guy and a boy put together. It's a goy. Well, thank you nonetheless, the coper, for that. Now, for ally assist, I have a class feature called Oncoming Storm, which is granted to me at third level. And it reads, whenever a creature within 60 feet of you makes an attack roll against one of your allies, you may use your reaction to intercede and attack them. If your attack is successful, the weapon damage you would normally deal is considered lightning damage. The creature also suffers, this is huge, disadvantage on the attack roll made against your ally. I also have cure wounds, detect poison and disease, bark skin, and water breathing. Oh, man. Yeah, so I've got a plus two in the works. I'm a super, super supportive ranger. It's a good class feature, and I was not expecting those other spells. All right. Fine. Nothing you can do about that plus two. I got healing. I've got interference, that debuff. Oh, man. Please don't make make me listen to it again. Just take it to ability balance. Okay. Ability balance. I'm arguing a plus one. So before I get through this, this is actually, from a numbers perspective, a very, very balanced ranger with strength of 10, dex of 16, constitution of 10, intelligence of 13, wisdom of 14, charisma of 13, passive perception of 16, that spellcasting spell save DC of 14 with an attack bonus of a plus 6, as I mentioned, 100 HP and an armor class of 14. Here's where the downside is, though. My movement speed on land is 10 feet. My swim speed is 30. This would be annoying. Very unbalanced. So... I'm arguing a plus one. That walking speed would get annoying for the party. That's a really good point. Someone would end up just throwing you over their back and carrying you. Yeah, and I'm I'm heavy. Like they, they mentioned that merfolk are like pretty long and also average about 250 pounds. So that wouldn't be a picnic for anybody. Yep. Okay, so if you're getting a plus one, I do think I deserve a plus two because I'm a little bit better than you in most categories here. First of all, I have got 30 feet walking speed and 40 feet swim speed. I got strength of 10, dex of 14, con of 14, intelligence of 12, wisdom of 11, and charisma of 16. So that makes my spell save DC and my two hit one better than you. I mean, altogether, that's a little bit better than you. I mean, I'll accept the argument just based on walking speed alone. Honestly, think of how annoying that would be that everybody else is moving three times faster than you. And you'd just be flopping about with that big tail. Oh, man, and, and think about it. Moving two squares on a turn, four squares on a dash action. Oh, my gosh. But you at least you got that range, so you don't actually need to move anywhere, arguably. Okay, well, out of the balance category, Garen, why don't you take us into the smooth operator scenario that for this week was written by our friend Gabe over at Interparty Conflict, and it reads... You were exploring a cave with your adventuring party when some rocks shifted and tragically the cave collapsed around you. Nobody was hurt, but the entrance and exit were both completely sealed off. Days and days passed, and you've been unable to find any means of exit. Worse, supplies have run out and you're all starving. One day, while attempting to move some rocks for the 50th time, one of your party members unearths a pack that was trapped underneath the debris. And inside is one single 
food ration. How do you convince the rest of your party that you deserve this tiny morsel of food? Garen? Everybody likes money. As a sixth level feature aspiring alchemist, by spending 10 minutes of concentration, I can transform copper into silver or silver into gold. I can convert 50 coins at a time. So I just bribe all of my friends and be like, look, we're gonna get out of here eventually. I know you're real hungry right now, but here's some gold to hold you over to not think of all the food you can buy with that. And then I'd use control flames to make a little bonfire and heat up those rations to make a real meal of it. What are you arguing? A one. Uh, if that's the best you got though, I mean, that's not the best thing I've ever heard. Best thing I've ever heard is plus two, always. Th this was kind of like middle of the road. I like- I'd like to hear yours. I'd like to hear what you got that's so great. I'm arguing a zero. I'm being honest here. I'm arguing a zero. So I look to our worst injured member of the party and I say, come here, child, while slowly wobbling over to them at my 10 foot movement speed. <laughs> and I touch their arm and cast cure wounds to restore their health. I then state that we all need to stick together if we're going to make it through this difficult time, and I can keep us all well, but my magic needs nourishment to stay potent. Now, see, I'm clear out of spell slots because we haven't had a long rest in a while because sleeping in this cave is terrible. I would then look to another party member and use my plus seven sleight of hand and wipe the blood off the cut on their face and state that I was starting to feel my magic get tapped out and that I was famished and feeling faint. I'm arguing a zero because I have a plus one to persuasion and performance. What did the wiping the blood off have to do with feeling tired? Well, I was, I'm out of spell slots, so I can't cast cure wounds again. So why are you so, sneakily wiping blood off people's faces? Because I cured, quote unquote, cured wounds, but then I'm like tapped out of my magic. So it's like, oh, he kind of cured that wound. Because like wiping blood off is like, you know, makes it look like it's not as bad. But obviously my magic's not as potent anymore. I'm confused. What does that even look like? Sneakily wiping blood off. How are you physically doing that to another person? I don't know. Ask my 24. <laughs> oh, well, with a 24, it makes perfect sense. So that zero's all around. I'll take a zero. What do you got? Moving into the aggressive part of the scenario, Gabe wrote, and then tempers begin to flare and a fight breaks out over that single ration. What do you do? Well, it's simple, guys. I'd throw my warhammer at whomever had their hand on the ration and call it back to me on a bolt of lightning, and then I would shove the others using my rolling thunder feature to keep everybody clear of the ration. So then, with the smite of Talos, I would demand that it be mine. I get a plus one. Whatever. Okay. I've been holding back on my party, and at this moment, I've had enough. You know, they're going to fight me over this one ration. I create a dimension door in the fallen rocks and just dip out to the other side of that avalanche. Then, I go use my shark telepathy, which I have as a Saho gain, and I get a couple of sharks and tell them what jerks these guys are. And then we dimension door back in and I sick my sharks on them. <laughs> what are you arguing? Plus one. Yeah, that's fine. Moving into the X Factor. I mean, I know I lost this episode because of that natural one. So I think I'll just start it off real quick. I think this was a lot of fun. I really like the feats that I picked and that uh, one of them you also picked. Um, also, Merfolk have some really cool traits. I did like the storm flavoring. I, I, with all of these supplements, we seem to get some storm variants and I always tend to gravitate towards them because there's so many storm spells and it's really fun to theme a character with the spells that you have. I don't know if you feel the same way. Instead of just picking a grab bag of the most powerful spells, having a very thematic character is kind of fun. Absolutely. I, and I'm way down with 
Storm themes. I was excited to hear about this character. I really enjoyed the features that I heard. So uh, I very much support your character. I would absolutely play your character. Apart from that walking speed, that's bogus. I too am down with my character. I think as we said, the if they dialed back the coin expenditure just a little bit, the actual feature of turning coins into damage, I'm really excited about that. I like being able to transmute your own coins. Also, the spells that came out of this Tides of Blood feature were a lot of fun. I really enjoy Salt Spray just for its thematic value and as just being a cantrip that deals 1d6 cold and piercing damage. So great job to Darren and Connor. JBC Perry on these races, and Brian Holmes on Dan's class. And before we wrap it up here, I do want to tangent really quickly about these products, because as we mentioned at the top, these are all either cheap or free. So, I mean, if you find yourself having a hard time pulling the trigger on a DM's Guild purchase, think about this. Tides of Blood by Darren and Connor has 30 subclasses for $5. Xanathar's Guide to Everything was a $50 retail book, and it had 31 subclasses. And the argument that that's Wizard Official only applies if you're an Adventurers League game or if your DM is a big dum-dum. Yeah, it's very true, and I'm glad that you bring this up because if our show does nothing else, it does display the quality of the community content out there. And so the argument being posed by any DM or any table that I don't allow third-party content, have them listen to a couple episodes of our show. It should be a bit enlightening that... A lot of these creators are doing things not otherwise thought of and are very creative and also very balanced, as we're seeing. I had mentioned just a couple of weeks ago with Alex Klippinger doing things with the reaction. We're seeing a lot of creators, including Darren Kenny's Duelist, do a lot of stuff with the reaction. So never, ever rule out third-party supplements just because it's not Wizards Official. It's ignorant. And even if that author is still learning and working on their material, if you buy one of their products and they update it later, you know, by encouraging them, they're going to update their products, they're going to work harder on it, then you get those free updates later on. I mean, these authors want you to be using their products at their table. They're not using it to get rich, because if you're not familiar with the DM's Guild pay structure, there's not a ton of money in this for most of the people that publish on DM's Guild. What really excites them is that you're using their products. Well, I want to thank you all for joining us on this first ever quadruple creator featurette. And next week, I hope you guys are excited because we focus on just one man with Weird Dave Carlson and his best-selling series of books that explore the infinite planes. And guys, you can't miss this episode. Yeah, it's going to be a great one. We love exploring new planes. I talked about it on Facebook, and not a lot of people really get to explore new planes. So we're going to do that next time. Thanks to those of you that have been out there sharing our show. I'm talking about Rucklin, Jason Street, Levi, Podcast Junkie. We really appreciate you guys spreading the word about the D&D Character Lab. And for those of you that just secretly listen and enjoy our silky smooth voices, please tell a friend this week. Until then, just remember, when it comes to character creation, it doesn't have to be optimized. It just has to be fun. Have a great week. We hope you enjoyed this episode of The Lab, and all episodes for that matter. Yeah, but if you left this episode just wanting more, you can join us on Patreon for tons of bonus content. At our lowest tier, you can join our Discord and participate in fan battles and have access to all PDF content that we post. You can even chat with us throughout the day. For just a little bit more, you get two bonus episodes a month and access to the entire backlog of Fight Clubs, Monster Labs, and special interviews that we've been pumping out since March of 2018. 
Patrons in the next tier get early access to our regular show, sometimes as much as nine days prior to release date. They also get PDFs of the character sheets for the characters that we've built in the 2019 episodes and beyond, and they can submit a smooth operator or spitting fire charisma scenario that we will use in each and every episode. And our top, top tier patrons get merch a couple times a year, have a chance to submit characters, and can sway the fates with automatic crits and fails on our charisma rolls during the show. At any level, we hope to bring you more fun. We love working on this show and the support of our patrons helps continue to make it better. If you're digging the new audio production that began in 2019, just know that it wouldn't be possible without those that already donate. And we have more plans to beef up the lab, and we need your help to do it. But however you support us, we thank you. We hope to have you back next week. Head over to our Facebook and Twitter at DD Character Lab for some previews of what to expect and lots of links to other great community content. Until Wednesday, peace, love, and point by. So grab some fresh loot. And give boring the brute. <laughs> and get, so grab some flesh, flesh. So grab, so grab some flesh loot. That sounds gross. That's a pirate yep. thing. Pirates like flesh loot. But tabletop loot gives boring the boot. On a successful. Oh, Velveeta. What's that? Velveeta. <laughs> yes. That's yes. A, Darren that... and Connor have written the fifth level spell. Velveeta bath. Wow, that's sexy. I'm I'm all for it. 3d6 hot cheesy damage. <laughs>